live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. good people of the future out there who are listening to this days after I recorded it, that means there's some sort of sci-fi thing going on and you're listening way out in the future. You know, it's kind of funny. I remember this old episode of uh, the Superman radio show that I listened to and in that story there was actually a guy, I think it was called Doc, Dr. Roebling's Amazing Machine or something like that. And uh, they, the concept of, of it was that this doctor had figured out a way to capture sounds from the past, and you could listen to them in the future on this box. Well, in some ways, that's what we're doing today. I'm podcasting, and so you're there in the future. No matter when you listen to this, you're hearing it after it's recorded. So I, once again, I found a way to intersect with Superman. Uh, very, very good on my part. But it's been a good week, a very busy week. This is actually my second time recording this. Um, I've been extremely busy getting ready for some travels that are going on this summer. I'm trying to sell a house. Um, you know, as you heard last week on the podcast, we're getting ready to have our first child. And I thought I would save some time today while I was running some errands and record this podcast while I was driving down the road in my car. And even though I have an incredible recorder, which is uh, a, a Tascam DR40, and it actually does great recordings, it actually I used it last week with my father when I visited him in North Vernon. In the car, oh man, my car's kind of noisy, so I just couldn't use anything that I recorded. So here I am recording this podcast for a second time, but you didn't get to hear it the first time. So maybe it'll be the best ever this time. Uh, I have a great guest today, Dr. David Myers, with a controversial topic. Uh, Dr. Myers wrote a book with Latha Dawson Scanzoni. The book is called What God Has Joined Together, The Christian Case for Gay Marriage. So you can hear how controversial it is already as I talk about this. But we had a great conversation. He's a really nice, very humble man and, and has some interesting views to share. So I uh, wanted to give him a chance to come on and talk. But before we get to that and what was a very interesting, enlightening conversation, uh, I do have uh, some feedback this week, actually on last week's episode. So we're going to go to that segment we have every now and again. <laughs> You know, I knew that was coming and it scared me a little bit and I even recorded that and everything. It sounds kind of ominous, but it's actually a happy part of the show because unless we get some sort of ominous email feedback, uh, it's good. And uh, today I actually have uh, a comment, one of the first comments I've gotten, actually the first comment that I've gotten on the actual Podbean site where this originally comes out of every week. And uh, it's from Ron Pruitt. How you doing, Ron? Thank you for listening to the show. It says, thank you for the Father's Day podcast. Quite enjoyable. Congratulations on becoming a father. God bless your home and your family, Ron. Uh, Ron, thank you so much for taking time to write in. I really appreciate that. Had a great time recording that podcast last week with my father. And uh, it really, it means a lot. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for the kind comments that I get. I'm I'm just continually getting those, and I appreciate you taking time to do that. I know um, a lot of people just listen and, and go from there. And In fact, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I don't always take the time to thank the host. 
who are usually just doing this um, out of the goodness of their heart for free. And uh, and so I just I want you to know I appreciate that. I thank you for your comments. And I want to encourage you, if you use this on iTunes or on Podbean, uh, however you listen to this, um, please, um, I'm requesting that you go to iTunes and fill out a review because the more reviews we get on iTunes, the more we actually move up in the rankings. I would love to see us get into like the top 100 for religious podcasts as far as listeners go. Um, so, and, and I, I just, it's an encouragement to me, and I guess I'm kind of an affirmation junkie, like Michael Card said, you know, whenever he was on the show. So, um, but I do appreciate it. It helps me to know uh, what you're thinking of the show. And uh, for every review that you leave on iTunes, I will give out $150. No, I'm kidding. I won't do that. But I, I would appreciate any reviews you want to leave. Well, speaking of things that are on the Internet, uh, I have some exciting new stuff to share with you about rickleyjames.com, which is my website. Over this past weekend, I told you I've been busy, and part of my busyness, I spent several, um, I was going to say tireless, but it was actually tiring hours, uh, working on the website. Uh, I built it myself through WordPress and have spent a lot of time trying to revamp some things. Well, whereas before you could go to rickleyjames.com and you could find links as to where to listen to the podcast on online in places like iTunes and Podbean and Stitcher and things like that. Um, you now can go online to rickleyjames.com, click on podcast, and it'll actually take you to a page where not only is um, is there an index of every guest that I've had on the show and a little write-up about them, but with that index, you can actually listen to every podcast. So all 25 podcasts are on there now, plus the bonus episode, which had to do with the Wild Goose Festival with Gareth Higgins. And um, I really think it's going to be great for you guys that listen to this on your computer you can stay on rickleyjames.com and not have to leave to go somewhere else to listen so if you're not one that likes to download through itunes or listen on stitcher or any of the other places that i've mentioned you can just listen to it straight through the website i also have put on there most of my recorded music not all of it um, but you can hear most of it through online there all the lyrics are up, so you can actually read lyrics to every song. Uh, to I think almost all of my albums are on there, including some of the new stuff. And uh, you can actually find links to go and buy it. So I encourage you, if you like the music, you can just buy one song at a time if there's one you really like, or you can buy the whole album. Uh, and I encourage you, we still have the special going on at cdbaby.com. If you look up Rick Lee James, you'll find all of my albums for download for only four ninety nine each, uh, which is about half of what they cost everywhere else online so thank you guys for your support the end of the commercial right here we're going to get into that section that uh, i guess it's kind of a show favorite now because i i get comments from people when we don't have it and you know what it is question of the week question of the week well, I've been trying to customize these questions of the week based on the guests that we're having. And as I did some research and I found out that Dr. Myers, who is my guest this week, is a big fan of basketball and also basketball stories. Apparently, uh, he read a lot of uh, basketball books growing up, and so that was very important to him, and he still enjoys reading stories about basketball. Uh, I had no idea there were that many books about basketball. So the question of the week for this week uh, that I asked you on the uh, Voices in My Head Facebook page. By the way, I, it came to my attention that there are a few Facebook pages that are called Voices in My Head. Um, most of them are not mine. only one that is mine is if you go to Voices in My Head 
the Rickley James podcast, uh, and you'll find it there. And you can go to rickleyjames.com and go to Question of the Week. That'll also take you to that link if you're wondering where I'm talking about. Uh, but Question of the Week this week, what is your favorite book or movie about basketball? And we had a lot of good answers, and I just decided to go ahead and throw my hat in the ring right away and say, uh, that Hoosiers. I love Hoosiers. It's just one of my favorite movies. Growing up in Indiana and seeing actual places in Indiana, a lot of those old schoolhouses are still there, and it was really neat to see them on film. And I feel a little nostalgic from time to time for, for Indiana, and I'll just go watch that. My dad is a, a big basketball fan. I'm you guys know I'm not a sports guy. I don't really care one way or the other about most sports, but sports movies, for some reason, I love, and um, and Hoosiers is, is another one of those that I really enjoy. Well, this is kind of a surprise. My sister, Tony James, wrote in. Um, it's not a surprise that she wrote in because she does that. Thanks, Tony, for listening, but she also said Hoosiers is hands down the best basketball movie ever. Love it. Um, and then she wrote quickly after that, she said, Rick, did we just agree on something? Wow, amazing. And I got to tell you, folks, I don't know if that's a sign of the end of the world or whatever, but the fact that my sister and I both agreed on something, it just does not happen very often. So I'm like taking my pulse right now, checking to see if, if I'm dying or something. But uh, anyway, Scott Casto. Scott, thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Um, Blue Chips, he says, is one of his favorite films. And I had forgotten about Blue Chips. I did see that movie a long time ago and uh, if I recall another Hoosiers connection Bobby Knight is actually in that film and several of the uh, the people from the basketball world are there and uh, I, I think that Nick Nolte's character was actually a, a lot based on Bobby Knight but anyway thanks Scott that uh, blue chips I may have to check that movie out again uh, Ryan Hammond he wrote in he said major league is a good one well, Ryan, you're my buddy, and I appreciate you, but I had to write in right after that and say, Ryan, I'm pretty sure that um, that Major League isn't a basketball movie. LOL. And he wrote back down the way and said, wow, I thought it said baseball. Oops. So I don't know what that says about Ohio schools or what, but apparently, you know, maybe he has a touch of dyslexia like me. Who knows? Uh, but thanks for writing in anyway, Ryan. I appreciate you, and uh, I love you, and I'm not just poking fun at you because... Well, I am poking fun at you, but it's because I love you. That's why. You're a good guy. Appreciate you listening to the show. And finally, last but certainly not least, two-time guest on Voices in My Head, every question of the week, answerer. Is that a word? Answerer. Um, his answer was, Hoosiers would be good, except it includes anything related to Indiana basketball. Now, you have to know that Matt does not like Indiana basketball because he is a Wildcats fan. He goes on to say, Glory Road, I have to admit, is not bad, but I still hate the ending, especially because it is historically accurate to this, on the score. So I will go with the book Beyond a Dream by Mark Krebs. UK basketball and all other NCAA programs. So, uh, if you're looking for a good basketball book, maybe you can check out Beyond a Dream. Thank you, Matthew Cole and Tony and Scott and Ryan and everybody who answered question of the week this week. I appreciate it. Uh, the next question of the week, uh, next week my guest is Cindy Wilt Colville, who is a veteran of the Christian music industry and does a lot with singer-songwriters. Really neat lady. Um, and I asked her the question, which will be our next question of the 
of the week said if you had to pick just one songwriter's music to listen to for a month, whose music would you pick? Now, let me say about that question, you don't just have to listen to that songwriter, but if you had a month and you couldn't listen to anybody's music except this one particular songwriter, you could pick who the songwriter was. It doesn't have to be them singing it. Maybe it's somebody like Bob Dylan who has umpteen million songs and, you know, hundreds of people have recorded his music. But it would have to be his his music, whether it was him singing or playing or not. So just an interesting question, hopefully, uh, for you to think about for next week. It's a hard one for me. I'm, I'm really struggling trying to find an answer, so maybe you guys can come up with it. But we'll deal with it all next week on the next. <laughs> Well, we're going to move on now into our interview section, and I want to do a little bit of a prologue this week. Uh, I know that the the topic we're going to be discussing today uh, with Dr. Myers is a very controversial topic, and I, I want to explain the reason that I had Dr. Myers on. He and Latha Dawson Scanzoni uh, wrote a book that I read not too long ago called What God Has Joined Together, The Christian Case for Gay Marriage. And uh, I, I know that most of us in Christian circles um, know the arguments against gay marriage, and in fact, arguments against homosexuality. And I feel like as, as Christians, um, we all know the arguments against. We know it very well. It's basically all we ever hear in most evangelical circles. Um, and, you know, right or wrong, um, I think that we need to hear both sides. And I, I'm a person that believes that uh, we need to seek after truth because as Christians, we serve the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if Jesus says he is the truth and that he is, you know, come to dispel lies and dispels things, uh, one reason I wanted to talk to someone like Dr. Myers today is because he deals in a field that has to do with facts and scientific research. And he's a very strong Christian. And I know that sometimes in the church, we don't always base everything that we say on fact. And and let me say what I mean by that. I'm not going around saying that we've been telling lies. Um, but I tend to feel that that we let what we feel about things shape what our facts are sometimes. Um, sometimes because we find a thing a little icky, um, we want to make it say something that maybe the Bible does or doesn't say. As I say this, I'm very aware that biblical eisegesis is a problem. And by eisegesis, I mean taking a scripture passage and interpreting it wrongly. Going in and making it say something that we want it to say, rather than standing behind the word, doing the research, going into context behind what it means and seeing what it says. I really feel like Myers and Scanzoni, in, in writing this book, um, have tried to do that, have tried to go into biblical texts. And there's only seven passages in the entirety of Scripture that deal with homosexuality. And in basically almost every case, if you've done the research, and, and I have, I've done as much study as I can, um, and some of it is, is sort of ambiguous. Some of it's hard to find. But in almost every case, um, when it's referring to homosexuality in the Old Testament, New Testament, it's also referring to it in the context of idol worship, in the context of rape, 
in the context of domination. Um, there were times that actually uh, when places were at war, um, it wasn't necessarily a homosexual act, but armies, people in the army, would rape the people that they were victor over, victors over as a way of ultimate humiliation, humiliating them and as a way of, of dehumanizing them. And also, homosexuality had to do a lot with purity laws for priests when it was mentioned in the Bible. I really don't believe that the Bible has anything to say about monogamous homosexual relationships in the context we have them today. I don't think the Bible even understands that as a category. Jesus says absolutely nothing about it uh, in his words in the gospel. We have very little, um, seven scriptures, like I said, that even deal with what our English word translates homosexuality. And I'm just of the mind that we need to be about what the Bible is about. And I'm trying in the best way that I can, um, with much fear and trepidation actually as I say this, to seek out truth and to understand what God would want us to be, how he wants us to interact I know that homosexual, homosexuals are, are humans. I know that homosexuals are people, and people need love. People need caring. People need affirmation. People need grace, and people need God, and they need to be transformed by God in their life. And as a Christian, I want to seek all people. We've chosen the homosexual groups and people, individuals, groups, and we've set them aside as something different than other people, as something even more unclean, as something worse, possibly. And in doing that, we've made them the modern-day lepers. Many that want to follow Christ are scared to death to be in our congregation. I was a youth pastor for over a decade. Every youth group I was in had homosexual kids in it. And they would come to me. I remember one time, because I was making a joke, uh, let me say that um, there's no excuse, no matter where you stand on this issue, there's no excuse ever to make demeaning jokes towards any group of people. And I was doing that. Uh, early in my ministry, I didn't think that, you know, gays really existed, and so I would make jokes still. That's so gay, you're so queer, say something kind of condescending. And I can't forget the time early in my ministry when someone in the group came up and and said, you really were very hurtful with what you said tonight, and you were very mean, and I know that's not something Jesus would do. And it made me aware, wow, this is right here in my home. I, I've lived thinking that this problem didn't really exist, or it was a, a problem to me I wanted to sweep under the rug. And then in every church I'd been in, every youth group, every year, um, sometimes with much fear, much trembling, being scared they were going to be kicked out of the church if they were to come forward about what they've been dealing with, um, kids would come and say they were scared to admit this, but they were struggling with this, and some had been kicked out of churches for admitting that. And I want to say right now, there's no excuse for that. The kingdom of God is a place for us to seek God together. It's a place for all of us who are broken people to come and be changed, to be renewed, to be offered grace, and to receive grace. So wherever you stand on the issue, there is no excuse for us to be bullies. 
There's no excuse for us not to be lovers of people. There's no excuse for us to take a stand that would demean and take away the rights of another human being. I'm of the mind, speaking of rights, that we don't really have any rights. What we have is grace. But we're taking away grace from people as well in some of our actions and some of our attitudes. So no conclusions here. I just want to say I want us to approach this with fear and trembling. I want us to approach this with the grace that Jesus gives. I want to approach it knowing that Jesus says nothing on this matter and that most of the passages we have in Scripture, we're sometimes picking and choosing. Not always. Let me say this, though. If we went to the extreme that we go on homosexuality with everything, I'd have to kill somebody for eating shrimp. I'd have to destroy a person for wearing garments with two kinds of thread. So let's think about that. Let me have a word of prayer with us as we begin. I know I don't always do this, but I just think the topic can be a little explosive. And I want us to be able to seek God's heart on this matter. Uh, I'm praying that God will help me to do so and lead the conversation today. And as in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So, Lord, I come to you admitting that as I really release this podcast, I'm a little anxious. Um, I want us Christians to be people of grace. I want us to follow you. And I'm praying that you, Lord, would reveal yourself. I know that in your word, you tell us that if we will call upon you and come and pray, that you will listen, that we will find you when we seek you with all of our hearts, and that's all that I'm trying to do today. We all know the arguments against these things. It's been thrown in our face again and again and again. But, Lord, help me to listen today. Help us to listen to a brother who has maybe a different view than most of the Christians we know. And I pray that we'll be gracious people, and I pray that our hearts will be open to see how to share Jesus with others more and more in our lives. Uh, We want to be about following you. So, Lord, in my anxiousness, I know that you've told me not to be and in everything with prayer and petition to come with thanksgiving. So I present my request to you now that this podcast would be used for your glory, that you'd protect us from any words that I might say or that Dr. Myers might say that would not be congruent with your word. And I'm praying that this will be a redemptive time for all of us, that we could just be so in awe of the God who loves us so completely in spite of who we are. Not as we do, but as we are. And Jesus, I pray today for your kingdom to come in a real way. Help us not to be people who wound other people, but to be people who heal. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, with that being said, I'm going to stop talking by myself here. And we're going to go into my interview with Dr. Myers, a really super nice guy. Had some interesting things to say, and I want you to open your hearts and minds, listeners, and listen to what he has to say today on Voices in My Head here on episode number 25. God bless you. My guest today is social psychologist David Myers, a communicator of psychological science to students both at Hope University in in Michigan as well as the general public. 
His scientific writings have appeared in dozens of academic periodicals, magazines, general interest books, and textbooks. In addition to receiving the Gordon Allwright Prize, an honored scientific award, and three honorary doctorates, he also received the 2011 American Academy of Audiology Presidential Award in recognition for his efforts to transform the way America provides assistive listening for people with hearing loss. And if that weren't enough, David is also an all-weather bicyclist, an avid noontime basketball player, and a fan of his college, of college basketball teams. David and his wife, Carol, are parents of three adult children and one grandchild. And on a side note, his wife, Carol, is the creator of a world-class website offering information and resources related to the real Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. Well, Dr. Myers, thank you for being a guest on Voices in My Head today. Thank you, Rick, for having me. Well, every week I always ask my guests, um, we do a segment that guests can go actually on Facebook and answer questions each week, and I always ask the same question to my guests. And since I know you're a basketball fan, this week's question is, what is your favorite book or movie about basketball? I should tell you, Rick, uh, when I was a child growing up in Seattle, I read every fiction basketball book in the Seattle Public Library system. So I've got lots to choose from among, but the one I remember best is State Champs by Leon Burgoyne, sort of a Hoosiers-like story hmm. of a team that uh, came from obscurity to win the state championship, and that uh, that along with being a longtime fan of the Washington Huskies and now of my own school's teams, uh, uh, has continued to keep my love of the game alive, and when our conversation ends, I'll be off to my gym to play basketball. <laughs> Great. Well, that sounds like lots of fun. Well, you need, And you know, I didn't even know there were that many fiction books written about basketball. <laughs> Well, I could read them all at one time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, now, and I'd like to to talk more about this. If we had time, we don't have much, but I'm really interested. Um, you, you had come up with – you won the presidential award, as I mentioned, for the from the American Cad Academy of Audiology. And um, I, I was just curious. Maybe you could tell us just a little bit about that because I believe you have some hearing loss and some of your studies had helped with that. I do, and thank you for asking. Yes, I'm an advocate here in the United States for a technology that would be very useful in worship places. In fact, it's now in virtually all the worship places in Holland, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and now in uh, more than 100 uh, worship places in Wisconsin, and it's spreading the country. It's called hearing a hearing loop, and uh, what it does is effectively take the microphone that's in a hearing aid and put it on the podium or on the TV loudspeaker, and thus it enables the hearing instrument to become a wireless in-the-ear loudspeaker for the broadcast of sound. And it requires no checking out or wearing of special equipment, which people with hearing loss generally won't do. Moreover, the sound it delivers, the sermon I heard yesterday in my church, for example, is customized for the needs of my own ears and my own peculiar hearing loss. And people with hearing loss have become very excited about this technology, which is everywhere in the United Kingdom. It's in most worship places, churches and cathedrals. It's the backseat of all London taxis, and it's now spreading the United States. Um, with support from the Hearing Loss Association of America and the American Academy of Audiology. And if any of your listeners are interested, hearingloop.org, hearingloop.org. Hmm. is the informational website that would give them more information. 
Great. Well, that's fascinating. I, I had not really heard anything about that until I was reading about it on your website, and you've written some books about that. And as somebody who's a rock and roll musician myself, I may need that one day. So, uh, if the <laughs> chances are you may. A lot of rockers do. <laughs> Well, let me ask you just a little bit about your background this morning, just in case people aren't familiar with who you are. Um, I believe that you started out as a chem major uh, initially and a pre-med student, and somehow you, along the way you became interested in the field of so social psychology. Um, how is it that you kind of wound up on that path? I was a pre-med chemistry major, biology minor at my alma mater, Whitworth University, and uh, Worked in a county hospital in Seattle in the summers and did, took the medical college admissions test, but never mailed in my half-completed applications because at the at the last moment I decided I wanted to be a professor instead. But I needed something to profess, <laughs> and I thought back to the one psychology class I'd had, and I thought, you know, I really enjoyed that. And so almost on a lark, I went into psychology and ended up in social psychology, which studies how people view and affect one another, and have ended up writing psych psychological science for textbooks for introductory and social psychology, and that's my primary vocation. And I, I think you've written, is it like eight textbooks on the subject? Well, uh, the introductory psychology textbook is in six different versions, and now in its 10th edition, and the social psychology textbook is in two different versions. So, uh, yeah, I guess that adds up to about eight. Yeah, well, that's – wow, that's fantastic. Well, maybe you can tell us, um, as a person of faith, um, some of the ways that psychology and religion intersect. Oh, well, psychology and religion intersect in many ways. First – First, and I mean fundamentally, uh, as people of faith, uh, we believe that there are two things, really. One, there is a God, and number two, that it's not us. Mm. And therefore, uh, our beliefs are bound to be, to some extent, mistaken because we aren't God. And so we need to approach life and learning with a spirit of humility and openness and so that spirit of humility grounded in faith is what gave rise to science in the 17th century and it's what helps motivate my open-minded inquiry into psychological science and my reporting on it so i want to learn what it has to say about all sorts of topics about how the human mind works and one of the things I think you wanted to talk about today, even about sexual orientation, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, whatever I bring to the table, you know, the surest thing I can believe is that some of my beliefs are in error. I am not God. Mm. And so as a psychological scientist, I've tried to see what are some of the connecting points between psychological science insights into human nature and biblical and theological wisdom about human nature. And then to bring these things together, and when there's some, where there's some discontinuity, to explore that. Sure. Well, that's a, a pretty good segue, actually. And I can tell you from reading some of your works that I've appreciated the sense of humility that comes through in your writing. Uh, and the book I, I read uh, specifically that I uh, led me to want to talk to you today and just to 
um, kind of listened to some of your views because I found them very interesting was your book that you wrote with Latha Dawson Scanzoni that is called What God Has Joined Together, The Christian Case for Gay Marriage. And I want to read what one of my favorite authors, Randall Balmer, says about your book. Um, he says, What God Has Joined Together is one of the few books that sheds more light than heat on the contentious issue of gay marriage. The author's conclusions may stir controversy in some quarters, but their arguments should not be ignored. And uh, I I agree with him. I, I think that it's we have nothing to lose and everything to gain by dialogue and by studying and looking deeper into things. And um, with a with a recommendation by Randall Balmer, you know that's that's something worth checking out if you've never even heard of Randall Balmer. But um, so let's go into the the book just a little bit today because it's no secret that. Uh, that church people especially are are wrestling with research findings on sexual orientation and you know what determines a person's sexual orientation and whether or not it's changeable and there's a lot of tension related to these issues in our current climate you can just look at the news and see some of the things recently that have have even come out and um, what's what's the best way to to deal with this as we're coming to this because um, I appreciate your your humility about this and I I, I love that that you've already said you know none of us really are are fully um, that we have all the answers to everything. But what is it maybe about your Christian faith that led you and Latha to feel it was important to write this book? I would say I was led to write this book first because I was learning some things about sexual orientation as I read psychological science. Second, I was reading some biblical scholars that led me to understand that the way I used to understand the scripture was not really faithful and authentic to what the scriptures are teaching about sexuality. And so as a writer, it seemed to me maybe I should share some of this, given that my mission in life is to try to discern and give witness to truth as best as I can see it, and inviting others to do the same from their perspective, and then have dialogue across our differences in the hope that greater wisdom will go. And so that's the spirit with which Letha Dawson Scanzoni and I wrote this book. Well, um, this is a book about marriage first and foremost. And so let me just ask a marriage question before we get into some things that might to some people feel a little more controversial. Um, but why, in your opinion, do you think we need marriage just as an institution? Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the driving ideas of what I've written on this subject is that the evidence is persuasive. The world would be a happier and healthier place if, for all people, love, sex, and marriage routinely went together. And uh, the evidence that marriage is a social good comes from studies that show us that children fare better when they're raised in households with stable marriages, uh, two parents that love them and love one another. Married adults are happier, healthier, and wealthier than uh, uh, than unmarried adults, although people, uh, you know, I don't want to push that too far mm -hmm. uh, because many single people live flourishing lives and many married people are miserable, but on balance, marriage is associated with human flourishing. Also, communities that have high marriage rates tend to have low rates of social pathology, such as crime, dropout, and poverty. And uh, there's lots of evidence that today's radical individualism and the media modeling of impulsive sexuality 
are corroding marriage. They're toxic. And by doing so, they're corroding human flourishing and the well-being of children. So uh, I'm a marriage supporter, and I'm on the advisory board of the National Marriage Project, and it's partly because I am uh, a biblically rooted Christian and a marriage supporter, but also somebody who reads psychological science and just thinks that, hey, people ought to, People ought to understand some of the realities of sexual orientation, uh, everybody's sexual orientation, yours, mine, and every one of our listeners uh, that led me to write this. Sure. Now, you had mentioned some of the, in your book, some of the, the toxic forces that, that are at work to corrode marriages and healthy communities today. Um, and you just mentioned a little bit of some of that, but could you go in a little bit more as maybe some of the things that you see as some toxic forces right now that are working against marriage? Well, certainly. Uh, for one thing, I mean, there's a s- certain social script that sexuality is recreational activity. Uh, as opposed to a life-uniting and a love-renewing kind of activity. Mm. And thus, in the United States, we see this in surveys of teens. The percentage of high school seniors who say that, quote, having a child without being married is experimenting with a worthwhile lifestyle is now, that's now the majority. Mm. Or the percentage of people in America who say children don't need a mother and a father to grow up happily, that used to be, only about 20%, it's now almost half of Americans. Or most high schoolers now agree that it's usually a good idea for a couple to live together before they get married in order to find out whether they really get along. Well, I think there's evidence that challenges some of those things. Uh, I think fathers aren't incidental to the well-being and flourishing of children. And so I think it's, and I I think that when you have two adults co-nurturing children and supporting and loving one another, that's, that's, you know, there's just lots of evidence that that's a good. Hmm. Well, that's, thank you for, for sharing that. And I, I want to get in now some of your research that uh, you, you say that you've talked about that's even changed some of your views on sexual orientation. And now you conclude in your book that sexual orientation is a natural and, and largely biologically influenced disposition. Could you maybe explain how you've arrived at that conclusion? Well, the evidence is really comes from two things. First, Sexual orientation is turning out to be an enduring natural disposition. This is most clearly so for men, but in general, I think it's a it's a statement that can be uh, that could be argued. And we see this first of all in studies of the biology of sexual orientation. <clears throat> excuse me, which have found brain differences between those of, for example, gay and straight men. Uh, which are paralleled, by the way, by brain differences found between, if I could use the terms, gay and straight sheep. Some rams, male sheep, about 8% of them seek to mount other rams rather than ewes. And they display the very same peculiar brain difference in what's called the interstitial nucleus of the anterior hypothalamus, to give you the technical term, as we find when we compare the brains of gay and straight men. And there's other evidence of prenatal influences on sexual orientation uh, related to uh, prenatal hormone exposure during the second trimester, the number of older biological older brothers a man has, uh, genetic influences 
And these genetic prenatal and brain differences combine to yield a whole set of gay straight differences in other traits, such as what we call spatial ability. There are some peculiar abilities that, despite our similar overall intelligence between men and women, are men are better at or women are better at, and and gay folks tend to be intermediate on some of these peculiar abilities. And it, it it's manifest in the nature of the hearing system, the organization of the fingerprint, uh, uh, just all sorts of traits. So that's one evidence. Sexual orientation is biologically is biologically influenced. Uh, second line of evidence is just it is very difficult to change one's sexual orientation, especially for a male. Uh, many feel called and have entered into therapy or ex-gay ministries or whatever, but precious few were chosen. Uh, and thus, today, uh, we see m many fewer claims of people claiming to have changed their sexual orientation. We have lots of claims now from ex-ex-gays, that is, ex-gays who at one time claimed that they had changed, they had undergone a sexual transformation, but well, now are saying they actually didn't and have never, for that matter, known anyone who has. Hmm. Uh, there's an organization in the UK that used to be a network for Christians wanting to change their sexual orientation, and they've given it up. They've now become a gay support group because, their leader tells me, nobody ever changed. Hmm. Sexual, sexual orientation is an enduring natural disposition. And whatever we think people ought to do with their sexuality, and that's a separate question, I think we at least need to, as people of faith, need to recognize and empathize with that reality. Hmm. And and I, I think the, the empathy is something that we have been short on often in communities of faith, at least in the evangelical community. Um, it seems like we're very... Um, very quick to judge and, and not very quick to maybe understand some of the struggle that is going on. And I, I think at times maybe we've unfortunately dehumanized people of the gay community um, and, and forget maybe some of the struggle that they're going through that that you know I, I, I'm I, I as a as a person who's seeking to understand this better, find that as I come to know Jesus more and more, as he's coming to know me, whatever the case is, that, um, I feel like he, he wants us to approach all human, human beings with compassion and trying to look in and understand where they're coming from. And, um, so that's, I, I appreciate you sharing sure. some of that with us. Sure. And, and part of what we need to empathize with is that all human beings have what today's social psychologists call a deep need to belong, a need to belong, sure. to connect in close, supportive, intimate, caring, Mutually self-disclosing relationships with people we care about and who care about us. Mm. And whether gay or straight, we are social animals. We have a need to belong. And I think it's important that we honor that and that we encourage the living out of that for both gay and straight people in covenant partnerships, in long-term relationships, as opposed to short-term promiscuous or recreational relationships. That's that's that makes for healthier living for everybody. Hmm. 
Now, I, I want to ask you a question just because I, I find this interesting because it's not something I've heard a whole lot of in in, uh, in my background. Being in, um, I'm actually a part of the Nazarene denomination, which is known for being fairly conservative among evangelical circles. And um, one group that is very vocal that I hear about a lot in my church is a, a group called Focus on the Family. And, and I want everybody that's listening to understand I'm not here to pick on anybody today or um, or say anything about them but what what makes what makes for instance um your findings or the findings of this organization you mentioned in uk um different from that of maybe a, a place like focus on the family who have endorsed studies that um that they have said that they do find a lot of success rate in sexual reorientation and I, i'm just curious about maybe your thoughts on maybe the difference in the institutions and what's led them to their conclusions uh there's there's anecdotes, but I'm not sure there's. I mean, I've looked at some of the studies that have been widely cited. The most widely cited was done by a psychiatrist who was responsible for many years for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders. A psychiatrist named Robert Spitzer, who did a study that was widely publicized and touted by organizations such as the American Family Association. Uh, of study of people who claim to have changed their sexual orientation. Last month, uh, he uttered an apology. I believe I owe the gay community an apology for my study, making unproven claims of the efficacy of reparative therapy. Hmm. Uh, and indeed, if you look closely as, at that study, as I did when it first came out and I corresponded with him, there really was no evidence, no credible evidence there that people were undergoing sexual reorientation. Hmm. Uh, and as far as focusing on the family, I'd say that's precisely what we should do. Hmm. We, we should focus on encouraging fidelity, commitment, uh, stability, you know, marriage and relationships. Uh, C.S. Lewis once wrote a book, Screwtape Letters, in which a senior devil uh, gives advice to a junior devil as to how to corrupt and the advice was this. The game is to have them all running about with fire extinguishers whenever there's a flood. Get their mind off the real problem and onto some <laughs> something that isn't a real problem. Mm. Get their mind off, you know, the 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 uh, increasing rate of kind of uh, or the the decreasing health of marriage in America hmm. and get it on to something that's not a real problem, which is trying to keep gay people apart. Hmm. Uh, and I think what we, what we need to do is refocus on the family. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting point you make. Um, let's let's talk a minute. Um, I, Letha uh, Scanzoni, who co-wrote the book with you, I I emailed her a little bit and was hoping to get her on the podcast as well, but she's got such a busy schedule. And I know that you very humbly had said that she did a lot of the lifting as far as the biblical study um, for your book. Uh, but I wanted to add, to maybe just talk briefly about some of the the Bible verses and what the Bible says. And and I, I want to quote a little bit. Um, from something that's actually written in your book. And it says, out of uh, 31,103 Bible verses, only seven frequently quoted verses speak directly of same-sex behavior, and often in the context of idolatry, promiscuity, adultery, 
child um, exploitation or violence. Um, do you feel that the Bible has anything to say about an enduring sexual orientation or about loving long-term same-sex partnerships? First of all, uh, the concept of homosexuality was unknown in biblical times. It's a term that doesn't appear in printed English until the late 1800s. So if you read a paraphrase of the Bible that refers to homosexuals, you're reading something that's been imposed from the modern mind onto the biblical text. Uh, secondly, we have a, a, some evangelical biblical scholars today, such as Jack Rogers, who used to be at Fuller Theological Seminary and later at San Francisco Theological Seminary, William Stacy Johnson, uh, who's at Princeton Theological Seminary, and another evangelical biblical scholar who's coming out with a new book from Eerdmans uh, this next winter, uh, who all are saying that we've badly misread the Bible and that, in fact, rightly read, uh, the Bible really does uh, encourage and support uh, covenant partnerships among people regardless of sexual orientation. And so there's other biblical scholars that say differently. And, you know, I say, well, let these guys continue to fight it out, just as we did over the role of women in the church, over interracial marriage, which for a time people were, you know, using the Bible to clobber people with. Uh, but it's looking like uh, at, at, at least the biblical scholars are are um, having a vigorous debate over this right now. And we know that if we really want to be people that follow Jesus, focus on what Jesus focused on and cared about, it won't be this issue because Jesus said nothing explicitly about this, although we certainly accepted and affirmed marriage. Mm. It's interesting that, that you mention that because one of my favorite uh, theologians is of the, the Methodist tradition. His name is William Willimon, and on the topic of homosexuality, he just says, I affirm everything Jesus said about it, <laughs> and uh, and I condemn everything he said about it as well. And um, again, we have to come with a certain right. amount of humility to that. And, and William Willimon, who died recently, was another one of these uh, uh, authentic Christian thinkers who said we really need to revisit our understanding of what the scriptures are teaching, just as we have about uh, what we used to presume uh, was the scriptural teaching about race and about gender. Mm. There's a great temptation for us to make the Bible say what we feel rather than to listen to the, what the Bible is really saying. That's a temptation for me, too. It's a temptation for all of us. Uh, and so I think we, you know, maybe in that spirit of humility, my own tradition calls itself reformed and ever reforming. Hmm. We need to do some rethinking. I, I think back as I'm having this conversation with you, uh, I spent about 10 years as a youth minister and um, in, in a few different churches. And every church that I was in, um, I came across young people um, who were, were struggling with their homosexuality. And, and I guess I should say some of them were struggling. Some of them had just accepted it. And I can remember a few times that uh, some of these teens would come to me and, and they'd need to go talk in my office. And I'll never forget one time that um, a young lady and, and I, I had another adult there with me. We were just talking with her and she was just trembling and and scared to death to tell us 
that she was struggling with homosexuality because the last church she had been in, she'd shared that and they told her not to come back until she became straight. And um, I, I'm just curious about your thoughts um, about working with youth because I'm I'm the guiltiest offender of, of anybody. Is back several years ago, I I would make a joke like, "Oh, that's so gay," or "You're so queer," or something. And I found that even in um, when I started youth ministry in my very early stage, I was immature enough. I was still making comments like that. And as I think about maybe how to help young people, I know that one side of the argument says. If they encourage it in school, then children are going to become gay or, or something, but, which seems a little ludicrous to me. But I, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are, maybe when dealing with young people and helping them to understand their sexual identity. Yeah, two thoughts. First, uh, it is a little ridiculous, by the way, because if being exposed to gay role models encouraged people to become gay, then there should be a lot more gay people today. But in fact, the percentage of people who feel a same-sex attraction is exactly what it was 20 years ago when people first started asking about this. Secondly, if we care about youth and about the winsomeness of faith, um, we might want to at least be aware of the reality that today's youth have utterly different attitudes than their grandparents. There is an enormous generation gap between the percentage of people under 35 who support same-sex marriage. Uh, a CNN survey just this last week had that as, as approximately three in four people versus people over 65. That's only one in three people. Generational succession is destiny. Today's young people who have very much more accepting attitudes towards same-sex partnerships are going to be tomorrow's older adults and tomorrow's church leaders. So we can see change coming. Uh, moreover, Robert Putnam uh, and others who've looked at why there's an increasing rate of young adults dropping out of the church, becoming religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, as he says, uh, he identifies one of the big factors being uh, being people's really being kind of uh, repelled by the church's association with uh, hostility to the aspirations of gay and lesbian. It discredits the church. So the church is when church needs to advocate regardless of what it thinks is true and beautiful. I totally agree. Hmm. But it might want to think about you know uh, how the winsomeness of faith is being impacted by the church having let itself be associated with prejudice towards people who are naturally and enduringly attracted to others who share their uh, their their gender hmm. I find that very interesting. So you think possibly there's as much of a generation gap as there is a religious gap in this understanding then? There is an enormous generation gap. There's also a gender gap. Uh, women are more sympathetic to gay people than men are, but the generation gap is even bigger. And the bottom line that Letha Scanzoni and I argue in What God Has Joined Together, the Christian Case for Gay Marriage, is that family values a priority on covenant relationships, a high view of scripture, all these things can happily coexist with full and equal participation of gay and lesbian people in the culture and in the church. Hmm. 
Now, um, I know that you are an, an ad- advocate for monogamous marriages, which um, is interesting because the Bible oftentimes isn't. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. It's interesting when we talk about you know using the Bible as our as our uh, our standard, which I, I really think we should. But having some context with some different things um, is is a very important thing, so that we aren't um, proof texting passages and making it say what we want rather than than what it says i have a feeling you've probably gotten a lot of criticism from people that have said that that you're proof texting too because you want to make your own point what what do you say to someone like that when when maybe they come with maybe less than gracious terms for you about what your your stance is on this well i mean i understand because they're expressing what i myself used to feel and think uh, and i have to say i mean I may be wrong. I mean, I think the criticism is fair that I may tend to want to make Scripture say what I feel. Uh, I think we all face that temptation. Uh, But what is, I think, a fact is that biblically rooted, authentic people of faith are on both sides of this issue, and we need to have more open conversation about this. I think it's also a fact that the Bible which has, as you indicated, you know, some hundreds of thousands of verses, has, excuse me, 31,103 verses, has virtually nothing to say on this subject. Open your Bible, randomly point to a verse. Open your Bible again with your eyes closed, point to a verse. You could do this all night, and you will not point to any verse that deals with same-sex relationships. The Bible has a couple thousand verses dealing with justice, concern for the poor, and so forth. Mm. So isn't it fair to say, no matter what our view, that if we're to be to have on our radar screens the things that the biblical prophets and that Jesus had on their radar screens, we're probably going to be focused on something other than keeping gay people apart. Mm. There's then there is a lot we're missing, I think, and if you just read the Sermon on the Mount alone, what Christ is calling us to do that the church is being negligent of in those in uh, in that context. But well, I I appreciate your conclusion that all humans need to belong, and since homosexuals are human beings, they definitely need to belong too. And I know that uh, many who are listening today are, are you know, it, this is kind of a polarizing subject for, for a lot of people. And, and I appreciate the humility at which you've come to this. And I appreciate you taking time to do this today. And I, I think hopefully if anybody's listening and is wondering, and I, I don't know, maybe you're shaking your fists or maybe you're saying right on or, or whatever it is you're saying, um, let's all come together with with Christ in mind and say, you know what, Christ is is calling us all to Himself, and as a result of the fall, all of us need to be transformed. All of us need to be renewed in His image, and all of us need to come together um, with that goal in mind and allow God to be the convictor of hearts and minds. <laughs> and um, so, thank you very much for for being with me today and just being able to talk about. Uh, some of the things you've written about here. Thank you so much, Rick, and I can say amen to that. And if anybody's interested in reading some shorter essays that are free and online that I've written pertinent to this, my my website, which is just davidmyers.org, will take them there. It's M-Y-E-R-S, davidmyers.org. 
Well, davidmyers.org, that's right. Well, and uh, I believe you're, uh, if they have any questions for you, do you encourage them maybe to send you emails or anything like that? Or um, I, or, or maybe not. I don't know. Is, is there a way? <laughs> is there a way that you would like to? Uh, well, people can communicate to me through the uh, through the website. Although you know, I there's I I I have a day job. Sure, but, sure. Uh, I totally understand. Well, I want to say thank you again for uh, for being my guest, or as I say every week, thank you for being one of the voices in my head on this podcast. And uh, I'm going to stop the recording right about here. Thank you, Rick. Well, I want to thank Dr. Myers for being on the show today, and uh, just I want to thank him for his gracious attitude. I really appreciate that about a person, their humility. And, and a, a topic that seems to be this explosive, and it has been explosive. I know that President Obama has come out and said some things recently that have made a lot of people uncomfortable in the Christian community. Uh, it's been in comic books lately. It's been in uh, the news, and um, not always treated very well. I, I feel like... A lot of times it's placating and exploitative in the topic and the discussion and the way it is. And um, I appreciate his Christ-like demeanor, his humility. And, and so, uh, Dr. Myers, uh, we appreciate you here on Voices in My Head. Thank you for sharing your views with us. If you'd like to learn more about him, make sure you go to his website. Really interesting man. He's very busy, so he may not be able to get back to you through email. Um, but I appreciate him taking the time to be with us today. Well, next week, week's episode is a very special one with Cindy Wilk Colville, and some of our listeners were actually going to be sharing their songs on the show, and part of what she does is actually song critiquing, and uh, was vice president of Word Music for a while, and so has had many jobs, including uh, a production assistant for Stephen Curtis Chapman and people like that, Cindy Morgan, and next week's going to be a neat episode, so especially if you're a songwriter, you're going to want to hear what she has to say. And some of our very own listeners, you're going to get to hear some of their music here on Voices in My Head. So thank you for listening this week, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. So if you want to send me an email, you can go to my website at rickleejames.com. Again, I encourage you to leave a message on iTunes. Let me know what you're thinking of the podcast. I'd love to hear, and I appreciate your encouraging words all the time. Uh, thanks so much. We're at just a little over an hour, so I'm going to go ahead and stop the podcast here. We'll see you next week on the next episode of Voices in My Head. Blessing. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.